Okay, so today we have Zulfikar. Um, so I met I met Zulfikar on Twitter. I think I, I don't know when, but I think maybe over the summer, or uh, I think you know maybe around fall, but I think over the summer. And um, I was think today when I was you know just preparing for this interview and just trying to gather my thoughts, I was thinking about how or or what was that first interaction, and I think it was actually over like a like a, a back and forth over Bitcoin, I think. And typically people would block someone that they would get into a back and forth with. But I truly appreciated you and I instantly wanted to follow your account and uh, yourself because um, anyone that I could have a back and forth with or just share ideas, um, I, I truly appreciate that person and their mind and the work that they probably put into themselves and that ability for the years before that, because I could, I could relate to that. And, uh, that immediately drew me to you. And then, uh, you also were nice enough to work with me in creating this podcast. Um, and, and one of the things that interested me about you the most, when, um, you were talking to me about how you started your podcast and your YouTube channel was that you had to get over your fear of public speaking and even being recorded. And, um, <clears throat> I, I can relate to that entirely. Um, e even though I've worked as a teacher and an educator, and I've had to get used to speaking in front of kids and students, it's it's definitely different being on camera. It's even different being in front of adults. So that that immediately attracted to me um, to you as a coach and a mentor in this process. So I would say um, at this point, can you share a little bit? about your story and how you got into this stuff. And um, I know that you said that you started as a lawyer, right? Or you were working yeah. as a lawyer for a little bit. So um, yeah. if you can share a little bit of that. Yeah, of course. No, no problem. Yeah. Um, so basically, I'm born and raised here in the UK. Uh, typical upbringing. Uh, we weren't rich. We weren't poor. I mean, I suppose we were more on the poor side, but never you know, the type of poverty where there's a fear of food on the table or anything like that. So, you know, we were comfortable, had a good life, can't complain. Um, but typically with all Asian families, uh, you know, the onus is to be well-educated and to become a professional. Now, I think that's worldwide as well, but there's a little bit more pressure when, when you're in an Asian family. So um, basically, I just went to school, did well, typical geek, really shy, had social anxiety, hated speaking, was the quiet geek in the corner, uh, the AB typical student, did well at school, did well at university, um, became a lawyer, or, I mean, chose to become, chose the career of law because I wanted to obviously become a professional because that's, thought I, that's what I thought I had to do, um, but I didn't like any of the sciences. So um, I don't know if it's the same in, in, in the US, but at the time here in the UK, if you picked um, physics chemistry and maths you could go into basically any field mm. uh, but because I didn't want to do any of the sciences that took out a load of the professions and the only one that was really left was was law so that's why I became a lawyer so there's no you know uh, great motivation to become a lawyer it was just simply to become a professional right um, and you know even after I completed my law degree at university like I had no intention of becoming a lawyer um it just so happened that i got a job in not a law firm but a, a an accident management company which basically they feed law firms so it was kind of legal related um absolutely hated that one year in working because once one thing that you'll find is when you're in the education system it does not prepare you for the real world um no way. And i absolutely hated that year. i mean to be fair that that boss was awful anyway so i think uh that made it worse because that was the kind of bus that really screamed and shouted and swore like to the point where his veins were popping and his eyes were <laughs> popping. So I absolutely hated that one year. Uh, and the only reason why I went back to law school. So basically when you do a law degree, that's a, a three-year university degree. That don't mean squat. <laughs> you know, you're still not qualified. You still have to do what's called a, a one-year uh, LPC legal practice course. Um, and then after that, you have to get a training contract and that's when you qualify. So um, I went back to the law school. And the only reason why I went back to law school was to get away from full-time work. And I mm. just wanted to be a student again. Um, so you basically did that. Um, and then from then on, just worked my way up, you know, started as a junior paralegal, worked for different firms, some big ones, some small ones, eventually got the training contract, eventually qualified as a lawyer. 
um, did all that I thought I had to do. And now, you know, I'm almost 30 years old. I'm a qualified lawyer. I've got the car, the house, the family, you know, child, and I'm miserable as shit, <laughs> you know. Right. And, so and everyone would tell you that you should be happy. <laughs> yes, I've made it. So it's, it's like one of them, I've, I've made it. I've done what I've, I thought I was supposed to do. I followed all the uh, the guidance. Now I've done it. And here I am. And I'm just miserable as hell. Um, and since then, you know, um, I, I did at one point open up my own law firm. Um, but again, because I hated the whole industry, I hated the whole uh, routine, the whole lifestyle. Like, you know, everybody thinks that lawyers are hot shot, this and that and the other. And at that point, you know, I was trying to... Um, show the lawyer lifestyle like yo he is i'm a lawyer i wear the suits i've got the car and all of that um but it's just you know at the end of the day those things mean nothing and if you're not happy if you're not fulfilled they're just going to bring you down um so the law firm i opened a law firm didn't like it and i gave it up and then since then i've just been experimenting with different things and that's when i really started this entrepreneurship journey and, and what you find is when you start you know business entrepreneurship it's it's more self-improvement than, than mm. it is business and if you don't improve yourself you're gonna struggle and another and another thing that's a criticism of the education system and even the employment system it does not prepare you for the business world or the entrepreneurship world um so when i started like you know you'd think i'm, I'm smart i'm a lawyer i achieved all of these things i'd find business and entrepreneurship easy it was the hardest thing that i've ever wow. ever done um you know you don't have the same guidance you don't have the same uh support like you know with school what was, and what was the biggest challenge so i think with biggest thing obviously firstly um, that whole story that i'm telling you most of that was done with me having a very lack of self-esteem lack of self-belief not confident not a great mm. speaker um and basically you know being the quiet geek, I just wanted to do things and be left alone. Um, but once you start a business, you know, you have to reach out to people, you have to speak to people. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things. And, and the other thing is obviously with school, and, and this comes back to the idea of programming and conditioning. When you're, you know, a, a top student, an A student, you basically get told what to do. You do it, and then you get feedback. And normally that feedback is well done, great work, excellent. And, you know, you do that for 15, 20 years. Um, the idea of being told that you're not good enough or, or failing, it doesn't come into your, you know, it doesn't come into your periphery. So you never experience it. So the first time that you do experience a failure, you don't know how to deal with it because you've never had the opportunity to deal with it in that system. Um, and, you know, that, that process of being told what to do, how to do it and get feedback, that carries on into the employment world as well because obviously you've got managers you've got colleagues so you know they'll train you up you know you get told what to do you do it uh if you're not doing it right they'll give you feedback and they'll set you back on course but when you start your own business now all of a sudden there's nobody there telling you what to do you've got to figure it out on your own and you're not getting any feedback so when you're so used to having these guidelines i i, I like to call it as crutches so you know school and, and, and a normal night five you're always on crutches when you're in business those crutches are gone and you know you're trying to balance yourself you know you're, you're skating you're on yourself. ice yeah you're skating on ice you're doubting yourself you're second guessing yourself um you know the results are not coming uh you know you're used to doing something getting feedback getting a result and you move on here you're doing something and you're not getting anything you've got to keep on doing it keep on doing it uh, and when it doesn't happen you think what am I doing wrong? And then you start internalizing. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Um, so this is why, you know, a lot of people say mindset is a massive thing. And it, and it is because the mindset of being an employee and working a normal job is completely different for the mindset that you need to be an entrepreneur uh, and a business owner. I'll just do your own thing. Like, you know, I don't even like to call myself an entrepreneur. I don't think I'm an entrepreneur. Right. Um, you know, obviously these, these labels are things, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the story there. So basically, the last five or six years has been more a journey of me discovering what I want to do, because obviously, I, now I know what I don't want to do. Um, you know, I'm trying to find what is it that I do actually want to do. So mm. I've tried so many different business models, all of the online mo models, you know, Facebook advertising, social media management, copywriting, dropshipping, white labeling. 
Um, and throughout that process, I'm also obviously building my own self-esteem, confidence. Um, and obviously the biggest crutch that I had was the fear of speaking. Now, obviously the fear of speaking is, you know, they say the most popular fear or, you know, almost everybody, it's the biggest fear that people have. Um, but for me, it was a little bit different because I had social anxiety as well, which makes it um, a lot worse. And it, it just makes that, you know, uh, the idea of tackling the fear of speaking that much harder. It exacerbates um, the problem. Definitely. Yeah, 100%. So I started off getting rid of this fear by first just writing articles and blogs. Like back in the day, um, all of my social media profiles, they were all anonymous. Like I was a typical snowflake, like bedroom <laughs> snowflake. Everything's anonymous. Nothing's in my name. You know, I'm a keyboard warrior. Um, and, you know, I, I, I used to have a YouTube channel, which is still anonymous. And, you know, that's got over a million views. Um, and it was easy because obviously I'm not putting my face out. Nobody knows who I am. It's just easy to, you know, create and do what you got to do. Um, but when it's you putting your real name and your real face out there, it's a different ballgame. And that's what's scary when you've got social anxiety and a fear of speaking. At the end of the day, it's just a fear of what people think and you know, a fear of judgment, a fear of criticism. Um, so I started making posts on social media and then I eventually started writing a blog just explaining this situation about anxiety, social anxiety, and how miserable I am with, with the corporate world and this and that. Um, and that helped. And then the next step was to just start making videos on online. Um, mm. And that was very, very difficult. Like I really struggled with that, but um, that was the biggest hurdle. And that's what probably moved the needle the most. Um, I just started off with making, you know, videos on, on my phone just for myself. And that was difficult as it is then in, in, in groups online and then on, on, uh, public social media profiles um, at the time I started going to networking events as well you know because I absolutely hated you know meeting people so yeah. um, I forced myself to the networking events um, at first I went with a friend but then I found that was irrelevant because going to the networking event with a friend all I did was talk to my friend and that's <laughs> it. Um, so I forced myself to go to networking events um, alone and, and really just step out of the comfort zone. And I went to like uh, Jordan Belfort, he came here in Manchester in the UK. I went to that event. I went to the London Real event um, and just going to general networking events. And obviously that helped as well. And then I started this podcast um, called The Minotaur's Maze. And that's what really moved the needle because that's where at first, you know, really uncomfortable. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but as, you know, as you're finding out right now, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. Mm -hmm um and you know the easier it becomes and throughout the whole of that you know i would say obviously the the legal career the corporate world and all of the business experience the three skills that i would suggest are the most important are self-esteem confidence and communication skills you know it's not about the degrees it's not about the accolades if you've got these three things you will make it not just in business and entrepreneurship not just in your career but in all aspects of your life, personal, professional, whatever, if you build these three things, you will eventually be successful. Um, and by building these three things, that's what changed most things for me. And that's what I'm trying to do now is help people build self-esteem, confidence and communication skills by starting a podcast, which they can then use to build relationships, build a brand, Definitely. you know, find partnerships, um, and, and, you know, build a business and, you know, get clients from the part. It, so it's a, you know, it's a great so many, vehicle for that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many, uh, advantages to a podcast. Now I don't want to be one of them business coach, make a money coach, use a podcast to make money. Although that's probably the better marketing angle <laughs> because the real transformation is the self-development. It's the mm -hmm. confidence, the self-esteem and the communication skills, uh, that you're going to build. And, and those you'll be able to use in every aspect of your life. I, I can completely see that. Um, even what drew me to starting a podcast or wanting to start a podcast for years was my, or is my love for conversation. I feel like people learn the most. Um, I feel like you end up learning more about yourself. Um, you end up clarifying your own thoughts and your own um, experiences. So, so yeah, I think this is a great vehicle, especially if people are interested um, in, in ever sharing thoughts or having conversations or getting to know more people. Um, this is a great way to do it. So I, I actually think that might end up being a better way to market it than, uh, than just saying, you know, this is a great way to make some money because yeah. <laughs> I think, 
I think inevitably that authenticity will put you in a position to make a living off of it too, 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, the other thing is obviously that's the journey that I've gone through and it's the transformation that I've gone through. So I've done it. Um, therefore, I'm more comfortable with marketing in this way now. Um, the podcast itself, like, you know, um, I, I did build a, a relationship with someone and start a partnership. So um, the second person that I interviewed on my podcast, like I had no intention of anything other than interviewing this person. So I put out a a, a post saying, look, I'm starting a podcast. Um, does anybody want to become a guest? Um, I, I want to talk about entrepreneurship and using your business to make the world a better place. Um, and then this gentleman called, you know, David Wolf, he said, I'll come on. I knew nothing about the guy. never heard of him before. Um, didn't know who he was. Got him on the podcast. And it turns out, you know, he's a, he's a retired real estate, you know, a mogul. He basically built nine, 10 and 11 figure businesses uh, nice. in the US, in the real estate industry. Um, he's retired and now he's got his own passion pro project where they build artificial reefs to clean the waters. Um, Very and he cool. Lives farm and he had, very very cool and, and that, that was it like you know it was a great conversation i learned a lot um but that was my only intention with that episode it was just to leave it there but obviously we stayed connected um on, on social media and over time you know from that podcast episode obviously you got to know me from that episode and then uh, we stayed connected and then a few months i mean not a few months but about six to 12 months down the line is like i want to start a business um i i, I like you do you want to be my business partner and i'm like what <laughs> you know here i am you know sitting here in the uk never been to america never even thought about uh you know mingling with millionaires let alone having a a business partner uh, that's done that um so i was like absolutely 100 so the other thing that we're doing is uh we've got a business together now called ethical empires where we want to help people you know, build wealth and, and uh, basically use their businesses to make the world a better place by buying other businesses. So, you know, obviously having a startup, growing a business is, is good, but it's very difficult. The other option to build real wealth is to buy businesses and you can you can really scale that way. Um, and, you know, where we started that business, but unfortunately he, he had really bad health um, and hope he's going to be okay hopefully but he's had a few operations so he's recovering for the timing so that that business is on hold um, but the point being is yeah podcasts they've got so many benefits you will build relationships you will build business partnerships you will make money um, but the reason why i want to focus on the, you know, the self-improvement one because i've gone through that journey and secondly although right. i've built this business partnership um, the business is still in its infancy. So, you know, I can't say I've made a lot of money from this podcast. Um, and I don't want to be one of those marketers that makes out I've done something that I haven't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even a marketer, to be honest. I don't even know why I said that. But, you know, I want to be very transparent, open and honest about what I've done and what it can do for you. Yes, it has all of these other benefits. Yes, you can make money from it. Um, but I personally haven't done that. Therefore, I don't want to make out that I've done that or you know, marked in that way. However, I still do believe the self-improvement aspect far outweighs right. the other things because they will come in time anyway. Uh, I've got no doubt about that. They will come in time anyway. But if you don't deal with these three things, self-esteem, confidence, and communication, even if you fluke your way to making money, you're going to lose it if you don't have these three things. So now, um, th those three things, especially the self-esteem and um, the confidence, or just self-improvement in general, is that stuff that you were aware of or were interested in even before getting into law school or uh, university? Or is that something that you feel like you were pushed towards as, as you got more unhappy as time went on? Yeah. Um, so obviously school and college, it's, it's all the same. You know, you, you hear the buzzwords, but it's all very, you know, it's in a box, you know, it's always... Right, I need to get better to be a, a better lawyer. So obviously, you know, there's a lot it's, of it's that, that self-improvement's almost ingrained in us to a degree. It is, but not to, I mean, it's a, it's a different level because it's different skills and it's different aspects because obviously self-esteem is never taught and, you know, you're never told about it. You're never taught about it. You, you don't really do anything to specifically focus on self-esteem. Um, obviously with communication because there, yes there is aspects of it but even public speaking like public speaking isn't really covered in in the schooling no. or education system um, and you know building relationships neither is that 
like you know obviously you learn manners how to speak to people obviously that the basic stuff being a but human being being a human being yeah but it's not in uh a business context no it's not in an entrepreneurship context so schools and universities are terrible at creating entrepreneurs and business people mm. because they're not designed for that they're designed for you to basically be a perfect worker be in this system you know you need to be smart enough to do your job well but dumb enough to not go ahead and do your own thing and, and build your and own take, take the risk to yes. do your own thing risk yes, is not taught in education at all or taking yep. risk Mm-hmm. or how to create or make sense of your own risk appetite. So, so now one of the things that I also love that you shared was one of your tweets from the fall, uh, September. It's your pin tweet. I find religion to be really interesting and just the concept or idea of God. I love to talk about it anytime someone likes to, but uh, typically people are a little bit too sensitive. I'm the kind of person that doesn't really know uh, myself. I'm still trying to figure it out um, each day that goes by. So anytime someone is willing to talk about it, I'm always um, encouraged to continue that conversation. So I might be able to figure out how to add your graphic that you have in the future well, to... I'll put uh, it here if you want to... <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. You could hold it up. Yeah. So I love this graphic um, because I feel like that graphic is applicable to um, almost anyone, um, any religion, anything. It helped me, someone, someone like myself, who's extremely curious about how people make sense of the world, what drives them, how they or where their morals are rooted in. I felt like that infographic, being a teacher and especially a, uh, working as a special education teacher, I think that's awesome. And uh, that, that clarified even more for me. Uh, I, I grew up Catholic started questioning things around 18 to you know, 20 years old, became extremely cynical as I start to see some of the things that I wasn't personally happy with in the world, uh, you know, started to become slightly resentful. And then as you know, I got into my mid twenties, I uh, came across a bunch of Jordan Peterson's videos where he broke down the Bible and I went down the rabbit hole and maps of meaning. And he's someone who really made me appreciate um, the Bible and the stories of the Bible. Um, and before that I loved, um, Alan Watts. And uh, so, so the way that Jordan Peterson would talk about the Bible and talk about it more symbolically and how that applies to our life morally helped me to then um, open up to more religions and wanting to learn about more religion. So if you could talk about your religious, uh, religious experience mm-hmm. and um, how you came to that infographic or, you know, uh, what you think, um, and share a little bit about that. Sure, 100%. So um, basically, I was born into a Muslim family. So my, my parents were Muslim. Um, so I was a Muslim from, from birth. Um, and, you know, obviously, we have school for the education side, but then we also have obviously mosques and, and madrasas for, 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 like you guys have church. So um, we'd go to, you know, we'd go to school, and then after school, we'd go to mosque um, for, for an hour a day or two hours a day, whatever it was. Um, so it's kind of, you know, I, I want to choose my words carefully here because obviously people get really sensitive about, about, about these things, but it's almost, you know, thrown onto you without, you know, you having any say, uh, about it. Um, and, and that just two things, either, you know, you become really religious from, from day one and, and you go that way, or you take it for granted. And, and I was the second, you know, I took it for granted. Like I was born in a Muslim family. Great. Um, you know, I, I stayed away from the bigger things. So, you know, obviously alcohol right. and drugs and stuff like that's not allowed. Um, but there's obviously so many more rules, which I wasn't really too, I wouldn't say lax about, but um, like I was a good boy, not because of the religion, but because I was just a generally good boy, nerd, right. you know, afraid to do wrong, afraid to break the rules. Obviously you had rebels and rule followers. I was 100% a rule follower. Um, Same. I, I was. I was afraid. I was afraid to be, to break the rules. I I, yeah. I always thought that someone was watching me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I grew up Muslim. Obviously, got a basic understanding. Learned how to read, read Arabic so I can read the Quran. Um, basic principles, all of that. But you know, like you mentioned yourself, it wasn't really until nineteen, the age of nineteen. You know, this is where I'm at university. I'm in the final year of university, and I'm questioning like 
is is this it? Is this all there is to life? Like I'm gonna, uh, I've spent the last 19 years working hard in the education system, getting these you know the grades and degrees. Once I get the degree, then I'm gonna you know work, go to law school, work in a law firm, qualify, and then spend the rest of my life working. And just something felt empty, like you know something was missing. Um, and that's when I started to explore other things. I started reading things and online, you know, the internet was in infancy, so you could find almost anything on the internet. Um, and, you know, I was reading, as you can see from, from the books over there, I had this passion for reading. I used to love reading. And, you know, I just started to read things in different, um, you know, philosophies, different uh, religions. But even then, you know, obviously we had RE at school, so I still had a, a, a knowledge of the different religions and I did well in RE so you know it's not like I knew nothing about the other religions but those really mainly focused on Judaism and Christianity and Islam mm. um, but this you know when, once I, when I was 19 when I started reading stuff on the internet about uh, I'm, I'm sure I think we've all gone through this period where we started learning about the Illuminati and right. the elite and this and that and how the world's basically controlled and this and that and the other so I got heavy into conspiracy theories uh, in one aspect and then the other aspect you know I'm reading eastern spirituality philosophy uh, and all of a sudden I'm getting ideas that are not exactly um, Islamic and uh, obviously some of these new age philosophies you know they start talking about how uh, you are God and this and that and obviously that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable but right. um, when you start reading different philosophies and you know you start reading this different uh, traditions inevitably you're going to start questioning and you know maybe even have doubts um, and that's when I started questioning Islam more because of that because of you know uh, coming across these different traditions but what then that made me do was basically appreciate Islam for the first time because now I'm not practicing Islam because that's mm. what was taught to me and you know because of how I was brought up I'm now finding out why the rules say this why do we do this what's the real significance what's the real importance you know what is the purpose of life um and you know i think this is a generation that's had very many difficulties with this question like what is the purpose of life right um and one of the other things that i noticed when studying all of these other traditions and all of these other things all right the end result might be different some might have many gods some might say we are gods but there's so many similarities there are so many similarities between all of these traditions and that graphic, you know, you said it yourself, it could fit into anything mm -hmm. in the different traditions because that's how similar they all are. Um, and with Islam, you know, I don't know if you are aware or your audience is aware, Islam isn't a, you know, people think Islam started 1400 years ago when the prophet Muhammad, the peace be upon him, came about and brought Islam. That's technically not correct. Um, because Islam, the word itself, it means to surrender, to surrender to the will of God. Uh, so Muslims believe that the first man on the planet, Adam, he was a prophet. He was somebody who submitted to God. And therefore, under the definition, he is a Muslim. Hmm. Uh, and the other prophets that followed Adam, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Noah, Moses, hmm. Jesus. These are all prophets. These are all messengers of God just like the Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon all of them. So um, Islam isn't something brand new. It's a continuation of the message of Jesus. It's a continuation of the message of Moses and Abraham and all the prophets. I didn't know that. Before. Yeah. The only difference is um, when these prophets came, the religions came, and you know Muslims believe that, the original message got distorted. And that's why a new prophet came to bring back the original message then the message got distorted. Then a new prophet came to bring back the mm. original message. Um, the significance of the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is that he is considered the seal of the prophets. In other words, the final messenger, the final prophet. Mm. So um, there's going to be no more prophets after the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Um, and um, the ones before, they're all also submitted to the will of God. So technically they fall under the wide definition of a Muslim. Um, the key difference really now with obviously, you know, uh, Christianity is obviously Christians believe Jesus is God. That aspect is something which is obviously re rejected by Muslims. We don't see Jesus as God. However, we do revere Jesus, very important prophet, a lot of respect. 
um, but as a prophet, as a messenger of God, not God himself. Um, so that's some background context there. But yeah, with all the religions, not just Islam, but with all religions, obviously you've got two aspects now. You've got the form and then you've got the substance. Far too many of us, and I would say even me still to uh, a big extent, and, and most Muslims on the planet today, they're more religious by form than they are substance. And by that, I mean, not, yeah, I was going to say, explain that. Yeah, by that, I mean, they'll do the acts. We, we, we pray five times a day. We'll do all the, the formulas. We'll, you know, do what's uh, asked of us. But we don't delve into the spiritual significance of the religion mm. and the spiritual significance of these acts. And, and that's the spiritual element is the missing link. Like you could do. You could do all of the, you know, pray five times a day, read the Quran, give your charity. And all these things are good. Like I'm not saying, you know, they're, they're not important. They're obviously, they're very, very important. And, and you know, you, you need to do them. But there is an additional element, which is to build the spiritual aspect of your life. So, you know, Islam isn't just about do, following rules. You know, it's about elevating the soul uh, and then returning to your Lord, returning to God in an elevated, purified state like I said, do you think are, are the practices in place to put your body to be able to do that you... yes 100 so basically um as i'm, I'm get, well, when i get into explaining that infographic the the quote that i like was by a philosopher by the name of muhammad iqbal and he said there are no right acts there are no wrong acts there are only soul nourishing acts or soul destroying acts in other words when you do something good or what's considered right, it's not you're doing it, it's not because it's right. You, what's the impact of that is that it's purifying your soul. Whereas when you do something that's considered wrong, the impact that's how, uh, having is it's destroying your soul. Mm. Um, and the whole point and the whole purpose of life, um, you know, is to worship God. So obviously, it's to worship God, and, and that's clearly stated in the Quran we created you. To worship us uh and you know in the quran um the language of the quran you know god refers to himself as i sometimes we and the whole point of that is you know god isn't a single and uh, identity so um you know you can't put an i or a we on, on right. god because you know god is unexplainable to that extent but yeah so the quran says the purpose of life is to worship me and far too many people just stop there like you know the purpose of life is to worship god that's it um but for me that that just wasn't enough you know, um, so then I started to ask the question, like, what does it mean? You know, what does it mean to worship God? How do you worship God? Um, and, you know, this is when I came across books by um, Imam al-Ghazali. He's, he's a, a, a poet, philosopher. I'm not a poet, but a philosopher, intellect, scholar of Islam from the uh, olden days. And even people like Rumi. So obviously, mm -hmm. the Western world has heard of Rumi. They haven't heard of the other ones, but they've heard of Rumi. Um, but Rumi was you know, spiritual and obviously his love poetry is taken out of context today. And, uh, but the, the real significance was the love of God. So he was talking about the love of God being the basis of his spirituality. Um, so, you know, I think it was Ghazali that said, um, you know, to worship God is to know God and to know God is to know yourself, to know this world as it is and to know the next world as it is. So that's on my infographic. I, I love where, that. Love that quote. That's where I got it from. Yeah. <clears throat> And then, you know, the other the that, Quran... that makes it make sense to me, right? Like yeah. that, that makes it make sense to me in this form filled physical reality mm -hmm. that that's applicable. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. 100%. So basically that infographic is from many, many different sources, obviously the Quran, the, the main source, and then reading the books of scholars of old, etc. And just, you know, if, you, if I was to give you a, a recommendation of one book, I wouldn't be able to do it because this was an accumulation of, of so many different books and so many different sources. Um, and then just trying to bring it all together. So for me, the, the, the top level is the purpose of life is to worship God, but that's not enough. So how do you worship God? And then the next level underneath that is, well, to worship God is to want to know God. Secondly, to be a vicegerent or guardian of God or caretaker of God on earth. Um, you know, that's, against something specifically stated in the Quran. And I think it's, it's the same for the other religions. You know, we're not here just to be 
live a life of luxury. We're here to be guardians and stewards and caretakers of, of, of the earth. It's, it's our duty, our responsibility to look after and cultivate the earth, not just for ourselves, but for our future generations. And then the third aspect is, you know, being conscious of God at all times. In Islam, that's called taqwa. But the premise behind that is every act that you do is done with, you know, being conscious of God. So everything, that, whether it's waking up in the morning, whether it's eating, whether it's doing a business deal, everything that you do should be done in a state where you're being conscious of God. Um, and on that point, that's also why things like alcohol and drugs are prohibited in Islam, because once you're intoxicated, you no longer have the free will to be conscious of God anymore. Mm. That's why those things are not permissible in Islam. So that, that's that second layer. So the layer after that then is, well, how do you know God? Because God is the unknowable. God is this beyond our apprehension. Um, but obviously there, there are signs. And, 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 the, and again, the Quran says, we have created signs for you and your guidance. And you know, so how do you know God? Firstly, it's to know yourself. And you know, I think this is across all the other religions as well. Know thyself. A person who knows himself knows his Lord. So you know, that's the first aspect. Know yourself know this world as it is and know the next world as it is now that can be broken down still further how do you know yourself and this is where all the self-improvement self-development i was, was going to say this is perfectly integrated with where all what you're doing with yeah. the yeah. podcasting it, yeah. it comes full circle yeah 100 percent. so you know how do you know yourself you know how do you truly know yourself so firstly you know you gotta sit down take the time and think like you know what are your talents interests hobbies you, you know your natural talents not the ones that you adopt to you know this to fit in or whatever what are you naturally interested at what are you naturally skilled at what do you naturally you know find um you know, that makes you happy and that kind of thing but also you know what are your biggest fears what are your biggest challenges what are your biggest obstacles because the purpose of life for me again it's not just taking all the good things it's about taking your natural talents interests and opportunities plus taking your biggest challenges, fears and weaknesses and overcoming them and together doing those two things, you, you then use them to become the best version of yourself. And this is why you develop yourself physically, mentally, financially, spiritually, basically in all aspects. You become the best version of yourself in order to develop character and self-esteem. Mm. Uh, and, and you know, I want you to remember character because character is going to be important. But the whole point of becoming the best version of yourself is to develop character and self-esteem. Um, so the way that I look at it, the more I learn about myself, the more I learn about God. The more I'm learning about God's creative power, the more I'm learning about the potential of God. If if He's if He has been able to create me, then I should be able to. I should learn about myself. And you know, it's these things are one thing, but it's also how does the brain work? How does the body work? How do the microbes work? The cells all of these things, that's God's creative genius. The more you understand that, the more you understand God's genius and God power, uh, God's power. Um, and then becoming the best version of yourself is an act of worship because God has given you talents, potential, potentiality, uh, opportunities. It's for you to then take those and make the most use of them and basically you know, take what God has given you and maximize them. So the more you maximize them, the more you work on them, you're now making use of the talents given to you by God. And for me, that is an act of worship. You're making use of what has been given to you by God rather than wasting it and letting it go to nothing. Um, so then the next, next aspect is knowledge of this world. Well, how do you know the world? Uh, another key thing in Islam is education. So uh, it's highly highly encouraged to be educated and to seek knowledge and, and, and wisdom so you know obviously reading and stuff like that but other things like traveling getting mm. to know different cultures getting to know different people having experiences um you know having feelings going to different places and all that kind of thing and just building relationships um and then what you do then is you basically use your skills by becoming the best version of yourself you develop skills and then you use use those skills to then help the world you firstly help your family your friends your society and then the world at large that's how you contribute and that's how you become a vicegerent a guardian a caretaker of the of the world which is in line with the the, the element above which is being the vicegerent of god um 
And then obviously, of course, passing it on to the next generation, whether that's to your own children or if you don't have children as a teacher to the younger generation. And that's how you're cultivating the next generation and the earth um, after you're gone. Uh, and then the final element, this is the most difficult to define, is knowledge of the next world. Because at the end of the day, nobody really knows what the next right. world is going to be like. You know, we might have metaphors. We might have, you know, people saying they've had mystical experiences. Right. But, um, at the end of the day, we don't really know. But what we do know, or what I do believe, uh, is the soul and the spirit lives on. This physical body is going to die. This whole world eventually is going to die. But the soul and the spirit lives on. And the strength of the soul depends on character. So that first element of becoming the best version of yourself, develop character. The better your character, the stronger your soul is going to be. Uh, and then the other elements that make your uh, soul strong is your actions, deeds, intentions, mm. basically your conduct and behavior. So all of these things, if you behave well, is strengthening your soul. If you behave awful and you're mean to people and all of that, that's darkening your soul. So the it all comes back full circle. You're doing all of these things, obviously to better yourself, to make the world a better place, but to strengthen your soul so then your soul goes back to your creator in a purified state, in an elevated state, um, and then you're basically ready for the next level of spiritual transcendence. And this is where even the non-religious spiritual side of the other traditions fits in with Islam as well. Um, the idea of elevating the soul, um, moving into the next dimension, and even right. the, the chakra system, obviously, you know, the, the seven chakras, mm -hmm. uh, the seven energy points on the body. What's that about? It's all about spiritual ascension. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't contradict Islam because at the end of the day, um, I was going to say, I, I just learned about that recently in my, um, in my yoga teacher training and it doesn't, that, that goes perfectly in line with that. It, yeah, yeah. You're transcending the physical body. Yeah. And if you look at it, you know, the, the, the two lower chakras, um, I think it's, it's, the, it's the sacral and, and the one in the stomach, stomach, basically it's your sexual desires, your lust, your appetites, religion. I mean, uh, I'm sure Christianity does as well, but Islam gives you rules around, you know, uh, sex and mm -hmm. uh, eating so obviously we have the month of ramadan where we fast and, and you know we're told to fast that gives you discipline over your your hunger your desires um, and there's rules and prohibitions around sex as well because you know as muslims we're not allowed to indulge in fornication you know sex before marriage uh you know you have marriage so there's basically there's rules around controlling your sexual urges and desires which fits into this whole point of disciplining the sexual chakra uh, and disciplining the, the the stomach chakra and then as you go along there's different so although they don't use the same words it's still the same thing you're disciplining right. different aspects of your body and the whole point is to purify your soul and then obviously to move to the next level in 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 the next life that's incredible if you um if you presented this to me in high school i would have i would have been so much more interested in other religions. And I think I would have started looking into this stuff much, much earlier on. Um, I, I didn't know a lot of that about Islam, but um, I, I, I did look a lot in a lot further into Christianity, um, Buddhism, yeah. Hinduism, Taoism, all of those different, I don't know if you would even call them religions, but belief systems. And yeah, it, it to me, it seems like most people, I don't, I don't want to say need a religion, but the more I think about that, I start to see that people that don't, or at least don't have some kind of curiosity about it or question what God is, what is your soul, what happens after we die, um, it seems like a lot of those people end up uh, getting controlled by those desires that you're talking about, and they don't have a good grasp on them or of that root chakra, right? Um, yeah. So it's, it's pretty interesting to think that uh, a lot of people today think that they don't need religion, but then they become religious about other things inevitably. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I think this is really important. Um, and it's 100%. something that I try to make sense of myself. 100% like, you know, the, you know, there's the uh, Quran tells, tells us that, you know, God is merciful. Obviously there are punishments for, for doing wrong things, but God is also merciful. But the one sin that is almost 
unforgivable. It's called shirk, which is idol worship. So if mm. you worship idols, say, explain that. Idol oh, worship so if you is, worship other idols in place yeah, of other God. gods, so there's only okay. one God you worship God. If you start worshiping other idols or uh, other gods like stones or whatever it is, that that's classed as shirk. That's classed as idol worship, and that's the gravest sin um, in, in 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 Islam. Um, do Do you feel like Do you feel like people limit their experience with uh, religion by trying to picture what God looks like, or by trying to picture its gender, by trying to picture, like you know, um, by trying to humanize God? Like, do Do you think people limit their potential religious experience or what they could learn? Mm, um, I don't know because ultimately. Only they're going to be able to answer that question because right. I don't have any experience of it, so I, I can't say I can hazard a guess. But um, I've never. I think, I think I'm asking that from my own experience because mm-hmm. I think forever I was always trying to figure out what, like you know, is it really a guy with a white beard up in the sky, <laughs> you know, uh, casting uh, lightning bolts down on people that mm-hmm. deserve it, or you know, then also allowing things that I feel are completely unjustified to happen. Um, so I think my my curiosity and a, a needing or obsession is ultimately my ego to define and to put in a box, like you said, is undescribable or at least words are are futile. Um, yeah. I think I think that that's what limited my experience for so long because even now I can't really describe what God is, but I think I feel more connected to something greater than me more now than ever in my life when I, and I was in uh, Catholic school for 18 years. Yeah. Up, up until I graduated high school. So it's, it's just always interesting for me to make that realization. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people try to, obviously, you know, it's easier to understand something if you can picture it. Um, it's easier to understand something. If you can see it, you can describe right. it. And, and obviously, you know, we've got an egotistical aspect to ourselves. You know, we want to be knowledgeable. We want to know about things. We want to feel powerful by knowing, knowing about things. So when you come across this aspect of not being able to know, to not being able to visualize, right. you know, it, it can make you feel powerless. And rather than feeling powerless, you'd rather be arrogant and say, well, I don't believe in God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't. Uh, right. um, you know, so... It depends on the individual, but that's where faith comes in as well. Because if you knew for certain, is it really faith? <laughs> you know, that's the, a good point too. Yeah, you know the the idea that you know God is ultimately unknowable because God is just far beyond our understanding. Um, and you know, this is why the the graphic that I showed you this was my way of trying to deal with that because if you think about it too much and you know you, you get obsessed with trying to have something which is concrete evidence to hold on to yeah to hold on to it's it's, it's one it's not faith and secondly it's uh you know it's, it's not possible with god because god is just so beyond and even like you know the descriptions of like heaven and hell like you know everybody thinks heaven is just this magical place in the crowds and there's going to be running waters so even right the, right the, right the Quran uses these words and uh, uh hell is, is this fiery place and uh, again, that author that I mentioned before, Iqbal, you know, what he said was in his philosophy, heaven and hell are not localities. They are states of the mind. Mm. Um, hell is man's painful realization of his failure in life. In other words, the fiery nature of regret and shame above his heart. That's what hell is. Whereas heaven is the joyful bliss of, um, you know, basically doing what you would should have been doing in life and basically having that purified state. So the, the, the descriptions of heaven and hell, according to this philosophy is, is they're not literally. I was going to say, is that, that that's in the Quran? Uh, no. So basically that's that, no. So in the Quran, the descriptions of hell are fire. Oh, fiery. Like okay. So and, then this uh, is a separate philosophy, but what this, it's not a separate philosophy. What this guy's understanding is he's saying, the, he's saying that the, the the words in the Quran they are allegories because we okay. humans don't have the understanding to really grasp what the true reality is, and and we need allegories to help us understand. That makes sense. Uh, so yeah, that's going back to that point of you know because we're not able to understand exactly 
the way we are able to understand is through allegories and, and symbols and that's why they're important um mm. and obviously for some people these are symbols and allegories is not enough you know they need concrete evidence but this is where the spiritual aspect comes in um as well because you know i could talk to you about a spiritual experience and you know you might nod your head but you won't truly grasp the nature of that spiritual experience because you didn't feel it right only i felt it and the same with you you might have a spiritual experience you might try talking about it you might try explaining it and you know i might have a semblance of understanding but i won't really truly grasp what you felt and what you experienced because that was unique to you um and it's not until you have these spiritual experiences in religion that that's where the the doubt goes away like you know mm. I can try to explain that soon a bit like, oh, that's all in your mind. But it's not in my mind. It's like you had to explain. I, I felt it in my body. It. Yeah. Yeah. I felt it in my body, in my soul, in everything like, you know. Um, and, you know, so that's where the, the proof of it comes from. me. Obviously, you know, we can never 100% say this is, 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 is the truth, but that's part of the human experience. That's part of faith and developing yourself. Um, and, you know, even if it's not true, right obviously i believe it's true but even if god doesn't exist by following those principles is my life going to be better yes. or is it going to be worse better, and for sure even if i follow those things it's, my life is still going to be better um and you know there's there's obviously there's a need for something more like we all know we're going to die one day although you know we don't truly grasp it billions of people have existed before us billions of people are going to exist after us are they really going into nothingness like i, I find that harder to believe than there's being you know there being no god that's that's a that's a good way to put it. I um I, I like that a lot. Um, so we're we're close to the hour mark now. Um, unless you have anything else that you wanted to touch on, um, I I really appreciate your your time and uh, allowing me to pick your brain. Um, we will record one soon for your podcast, and, and yeah. uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me on. Um, it was a pleasure. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely have you on again because I know that as soon as I sure. uh, leave like this, <laughs> I'm gonna, my brain's going to continue going and, and I'm going to want to continue this conversation. So we'll definitely have another one. Brilliant. Well, thanks for having me on and uh, best of luck with the podcast launch. Thanks, man. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye.